Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Officially charged with two counts of first degree solicitation of prostitution yesterday. Now that news broke just as the show was ending and I started to read the probable affidavit that was released. In the interest of finishing what I started yesterday, I will now read what I can read of it. However, let me just say this. It comes with a warning. This content is graphic in nature. If you have children around you, now might be a good time to turn down the radio or the TV. Because the following has adult content. Words that I honestly thought that I would never have to use on the radio. I'm even going to say that some of this is NSFW, not suitable for work. I'm not even sure that I would say some of this on my podcast. I'm not even sure that I would cover some of this on my Showtime show back in the day, where I and pretty much everybody who was on that show said whatever we wanted, whenever we wanted. So Alvin, do me a solid. Make sure you've got your finger on the button. Because even though this is a legal document... There may be things that are not suitable or fit for air. What you're about to hear was released by the authorities yesterday. It contains a description of what happened on the morning of January 20th. Names have been redacted where necessary. Are you ready? Everybody good? Here it is. And I quote, On Sunday, January 20th, 2019, video surveillance was conducted at the Target business. At approximately 10.59 hours, Kraft entered the business through the front door where he paid cash at the front desk to an Asian female, previously identified as Redacted, which was captured on JPPD Cam 5. Redacted escorted Kraft to a room identified as JPPD Cam 2. There, the two hugged each other. Kraft took off all of clothing, laid face up on the massage table, and, redacted, hugged him again. At approximately 11.02 hours, redacted, began manipulating Kraft's penis and testicles... And then put her head down by his penis. This went on for several minutes. After a few minutes, redacted, wiped craft in the area of his genitals with a white towel, helped him get dressed, and hugged him again. Craft gave redacted a $100 bill plus at least one other unidentifiable bill. Kraft left the room at approximately 11.13 hours. Quote, there you have it. Are you happy? I never want to hear any of that ever again. In fact, I wish I could unhear it. Just as I wish I could unsee some of the images that have been burned into my brain. So no, I will not be recapping this for you ghouls. I will not be breaking it down line by line. I will not be repeating it. If you missed it, you missed it. Sorry. That was one time and one time only, and I'm not going to go over that again. Just know this. It allegedly happened. And it allegedly was not the only time that Bob was at the spa. 
As I mentioned yesterday, January 20th was the day of the AFC Championship game. But I'll get to that a little bit later on. What's important to note is that he did not just wake up the morning of the AFC Championship game and feel like he needed a massage and jumped his chauffeur-driven Bentley roughly a half hour to this scummy strip mall and just happened to stumble upon the Orchids of Asia Day Spa the morning of the AFC Championship game. I mean, he did do that, allegedly, but he was also there the afternoon before. That's right. Two visits to that seedy massage parlor in less than 24 hours. In other words, that is two for him. It's two for me. According to the police, on January 19th, Kraft stayed from 4.45 p.m. until 5.25 p.m., and he paid more than 200 bucks for two women's services. After he left that evening, and this is key, after he left that evening, police conducted a traffic stop and Kraft allegedly produced his driver's license, confirming it was him. So to recap, Bob allegedly went to a spa the afternoon before the AFC Championship game. Then he went right back the next morning, the day of the AFC Championship game, before flying to Kansas City. But not only did he go the afternoon before the game, he was stopped by police that afternoon, and then he went right back the next morning. They pulled him over, no doubt making it seem like it was just a routine traffic stop. He never thought that it might have something to do with the fact that he had just committed an illegal act in a strip mall spa. And then he went right back over the next morning before flying to Kansas City for the AFC Championship game. I mean, if that's true... If that's true, how freaking brazen is that? How stupid is that? As I said yesterday, and I'm guessing this applies to almost everybody listening, how many times are you driving 35 in a 35? You see a cop by the side of the road. You slow down to 30. You know you're not breaking the law. You weren't even close, but you immediately change all your behavior. You turn the radio down. You've got your hands at 10 and 2 on the steering wheel. You're not doing anything wrong. You're practically screaming, hey, nothing to see here, officer. Keep moving. Yet you're still nervous that the cop's going to pull you over and write you up for something that you haven't done. Oh, not Bob. Not Bob. Bob, on the other hand, had just walked out of a day spa, allegedly, where he paid for a sex act, allegedly, Gets pulled over by the police, allegedly. Gives them his license, allegedly. And thinks nothing of it, allegedly. And then goes right back to the same spot a few hours later. And that's before we get into the fact that he was hitting up Orchids of Asia the morning of the AFC Championship game. Hey, look, I know we all have a routine. I know we all have a routine on travel day. You've got to check to make sure you packed everything, right? Phone, check. Laptop, check. Identification, check. Oh, crap. Better stop and get something to eat so I can take it on the plane because because airplane food, right? Am I right? Check. Hey, you know what? You know what? I should also hit up this Orchids of Asia Day Spa that's a half hour up the road right before I get to the airport. Check. You know the old pre-flight routine. Stop off, get some snacks, maybe grab some gum. Most importantly, patronize a location that is allegedly involved in forced labor and forced sexual conduct. Check. Allegedly. The AFC title game, Bob? The old pregame solicitation superstition. You know, some players vomit before games. 
I just didn't know that owners or some owners or at least one owner likes to solicit a prostitute before a big game. Some fans have a lucky jersey. Bob's got a lucky pro. Allegedly. Let's really put this into context, right? Not that there's ever a good time to solicit a prostitute, but check this. I know the Patriots are Super Bowl champions, but they were alleged underdogs going into that game. They were going to Kansas City to face Patrick Mahomes. The Patriots dynasty could have been on the ropes at that point. If Kansas City wins that game with the young talent they have, they may have just taken over the conference. So that was no sure thing. If ever there was a game to be focused on, it was that game. Except Bobbo was focused on something else. That was, to that point, the biggest game of the year. And he's thinking about going to a day spa where, redacted, quote, began manipulating Kraft's penis and testicles, end quote. Then he's done. Gets right back in his car and presumably heads straight to the airport so he can be in Kansas City in time for kickoff. And then the Patriots win in overtime, and then you're off to the Super Bowl. So... Just to quickly recap those 24 hours for Bob. Go to the spa, allegedly pay for a sex act, allegedly get pulled over by the cops, go to sleep, wake up, go to the spa, allegedly pay for another sex act, fly to Kansas City, see your team win one of the most electric games in a long time, and clinch a trip to the Super Bowl. (laughs) My man had himself a 24-hour period. And no, no, I have no idea why a billionaire is going a half hour out of his way to some scummy massage parlor to pay for sex in a strip mall, especially if he knew that there were sex workers there being held against their will. I don't know if he knew that or not. I have no idea why a guy in his position would do something like that or not, much less twice in 24 hours for the most important weekend of the season or not. Do not take a chance of being stranded. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and get your battery tested. It's free of charge and one of the many services available. If your battery needs to be replaced, the professional parts people will help you find the exact battery for your car or truck that you need. Mike Hopkins is my guest. Mike, it is so good to have you back. What's up? How are you? Good morning. How are you? Man, I am so good, Mike. How are you? I'm doing great. Doing great. Got sun out in Seattle, so it's beautiful. Hey, listen, what about Seattle? If I'm not mistaken, there's been a little bit of snow there, and the locals are freaking out. What's your reaction to the snow? Is it snow snowmageddon like they're talking about there locally? Listen, I was in Syracuse for 20 years. That is snowmageddon. All right. At the end of the day, it was a dusting, but you know they're not they're not used to it. But it, there was a lot of snow, and it was real. And uh, but uh, I've, been, I've been a part of some pretty brutal winters and, and, and nights, so uh, it was a layup for me. I figured as much. We're talking to Mike Hopkins. All right, so Saturday's win over Colorado gave you at least a share of the regular season conference title for the first time since 2012. Listen, I didn't see you guys partying a whole lot. In fact, your message after the game was one of my favorite lines, Mike. One of my guys, Trevor Price, did a podcast with me, a football player, and he said this every single week, quote, don't eat the cheese. Don't eat the yep. cheese. Your message was similar. Quote, don't eat the cheese. We were on cheddar. Now we're on Munster. I don't know what cheese we're on, but don't eat it. I know what that means, but explain it for everybody else. What is the philosophy behind don't eat the cheese? Well, it was funny because we had won four or five in a row earlier in the year or, you know, in the Pac-12 and Will Conroy, uh, one of my great assistants, said to me, he's like, Coach, you know, we need to do something that, you know, keeps these guys focused. And, uh, you know, they've never been in this situation before. So 
he talked about don't eat the cheese. So we put 15 mousetraps all over the, the locker room, and the guys didn't know what it meant. You know, they came in, and, and uh, you know, the, the message was, you know, don't get caught eating the cheese. It can take you out. And uh, we just kept on with that message. The guys have been humble. They've been working. And the most important thing is, is that focus and uh, playing with that chip on their shoulder. So spend the message. We're driving it every day, and hopefully we can keep it. I love it. Don't eat the cheese. Mike Hopkins joining us. Now, Matisse Thibel had 17 points, six steals, five block shots on Saturday. After the game, you compared him to Carl Lewis and David Copperfield. Lay that out for me. What do you mean by that? Well, there was a play in the game. I've, I've given them. I, I'm putting together a list of just nicknames. At first, it was Deion Sanders, right? And then, you know, then it was Spider-Man because of his length and the way he can, you know, shoot the gaps. And in this game, there was a play where there was a loose ball, and McKinley Wright, who's a fast, you know, great point guard, running after it. And then all of a sudden, Matisse Seibel just puts on these jets. Like, it looked like a sprinter, like a like a world class sprinter. Got it, dunked the ball, and. And, and then the David Copperfield analogy is, is just kind of like, uh, have you ever seen John Wick? Oh, yeah. Come on now. This is a saying? giant he, John Wick he, house. He goes, he goes, he goes, he goes, John Wick, he's focused. He's the boogeyman. And you don't know where he's at, you know. So he doesn't block shots around the rim. He blocks shots on the perimeter and in the, in the, in the kind of like that high post area. And so whenever those guys get it, because that's where teams attack, you don't know where he's at, but he's looming. You know, he can block it, he steals it, he's disruptive. And so it's just one of the things that came to my mind when he plays, he's just a disruptor, you know, the ultimate disruptor. Mike Hopkins joining us. Not only do I know John Wick, I know that exact line. That's one of my favorite lines in any movie. I think the exact line, Mike, is just something like, John Wick is a man of focus and discipline. Commitment. Commitment sure will. A man of focus. Love it. Wick is, too. You know, one more thing about Matisse. Now, he, he's getting a lot of attention as the best defensive player in the country. And as you point out, the guy is so impactful and so disruptive on defense. Now, you've been around some great defenders over the course of your career. Does he remind you of anybody, or is he completely different in that regard? I think he's completely different. And, I, you know, he reminds me athletically, like we had a kid, Wesley Johnson, but he played the forward spot. And he just was an incredible athlete, had great anticipation, but – what Matisse Seibel is doing, I've never seen. And we had Michael Carter-Williams, who was a great defensive player, long, athletic guy at Syracuse. But the amount of, you know, blocks and steals and disruption, I mean, he's getting like 11 takeaways a game. You know, he's getting six steals, five blocks, five steals, six blocks in these games. And it's just, I've never seen anybody impact a game on the defensive end like him. Do you know what I mean? I mean, there's been great centers, you know, defensive player of the years, Eton Thomas, Fabricio DeMello at Syracuse, three blocks a game. But this kid just does it all. I mean, on both ends, but defensively, he's just a menace. Mike Hopkins is the head coach at Washington. Listen, I also understand, and I am hearing what you're saying. I know that you do not want to break out a cheese plate right now. I know you've got a lot of work in front of you. At the same time, when you look at where the program was when you arrived, how much pride is there in the fact that you've come so far and you are Pac-12 champs? Well, you know what, uh, you know, you, when, we, when, we, when you coach, you know, you're coaching the next play the next day. You don't know when you get the job. You know, we got the job. We didn't know if we would retain any of the players. And, you know, it goes back to, you know, I hired a great staff. Will Conroy uh, was the connection of the past and the present. Uh, you know, Coach Romar even went out of his way to talk to these guys about staying. And, uh, you know, I'll always appreciate, you know, him for that. And then, you know, we had a good recruiting class retain one of the recruits. And you're just coaching, Jim. 
You know, you're, how do we get better? I mean, we almost lost to St. Martin's the first game. We're playing the zone, and they hit seven of their first nine shots or threes, and we're down 17. And my opening night, it's like the opening night on Mott Lake. Uh, you know, and so we just kept getting better, getting better. The kids started believing, and, and I got to give the kids a lot of credit. They just kept believing and believing in each other and then us trying to teach them how to win. And uh, last year we had some great moments. It just wasn't consistent. Uh, we upped our schedule this year, and, you know, we think that really helped us have, you know, championship mentality, and it's really carried over into the league play. Washington Huskies men's basketball coach Mike Hopkins, my guest. You know, Mike, you and I have talked about the personal connection that you feel to Washington and the fact that your father, Griff, went to Roosevelt High School and then the University of Washington. Knowing that connection then, how special is it for you to be having the success that you're having there right now? You know, Jim, it's the greatest thing possible. And, you know, my dream was to be a head coach and to, you know, create and build my own legacy. And it's even better than, than I ever dreamt of. And having the connection of both my mom and dad being born in Seattle and my dad going to school here and living around the corner and, and meeting friends. And I, I never even knew. I, I went to a place, the 101 Club, and a guy brought out a picture of my dad as a sophomore in high school on the basketball team. And I didn't even know my dad played hoop. Wow. He never told wow. me. I didn't know. And so so many old friends, fraternity brothers, people, and next-door neighbors, childhood homes. It's just been a dream come true for me. Mike, one more thing before you go. There was this incident earlier this season where you were heading back home after facing Auburn, and you're headed to the airport on the bus, and then there's a thump or two from the back. I think a lot of people don't know exactly what happened. In fact, what did you think was happening at that time? I thought it was a flat tire, and the guy and the, the bus driver goes, I think we've got a flat in the back left, you know, whatever the terminology is. He pulls over. And he walks out calmly. You know, we're just, we just got beaten by 20. You know, your mind is like, what are we going to do? And he starts sprinting into the bus saying, the bus is on fire. The bus is on fire. And, you know, you always think the gas tank is where? In the back. Right. You know, I don't know. So this thing is on. I mean, it's real fire. It's not like a, a couple flames. And we get out and just trying to get out. Everybody's safe. And there was a scary moment uh, in the middle of, uh, I don't even know where, where the heck we were. But, boy, we were in the middle of nowhere in the middle of the night, and the thing was on fire. And so uh, everybody was safe, but a really scary moment. Yeah, Mike, at the same time. So, yeah, exactly. Really, really scary moment. Everybody was safe. But at the same time, in the middle of all that chaos, you get all your guys off the bus, and they're off on the side of the road. What was the team doing in that moment? Well, we went up. Every, you know, in today's day and age, everybody's got their phones out uh, doing the, you know, the Twitter thing, you know, like uh, filming it. I call 911, and the guy says, uh, can you tell me an emergency? I said, our bus is on fire. He goes, can you tell me where you're at? I'm like, no. He goes, I'm on some highway uh, in the middle of nowhere. It was just a kind of a crazy situation. But, uh, you know, our guys ended up being an incredible moment because through all the adversity, through all the night, the bus is just gone. We don't know if we have any bags. And the guys had a, a boom box. And they stood near waiting for the police and the, all the people to come out, the fire trucks. And we just, they started singing songs. <laughs> and I hate to say it, but through all that adversity, it was really a moment where these guys bonded, stayed together. And, uh, you know, wouldn't want to do it again, but uh, it all ended up for the best. See, that's what I'm saying. And a final thought really quickly, Mike, you called it a brain tattoo, a brain tattoo. What do you mean by that? It means that it's with you forever. And it's what we try to give these kids in terms of, what were our values and what we stand for and how to be successful in life. Brain tattoos, man.
stays with you forever. Second season with the Huskies, the 2018 Pac-12 Coach of the Year, and they have already wrapped up a share of the Pac-12 regular season title. They did so Saturday, and they're back at it Thursday against Cal. Mike, I was waiting for the right time. I knew you and I had to get caught up. So good to have you back on. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Jim. You're the best. LA 105, Memphis 110. I did that for a reason. You know, the Memphis Grizzlies, who had lost four straight going into last night, the Memphis Grizzlies, who had lost to the Chicago Bulls by double digits, and the Cavaliers in two of their last three games. The Grizz, the team which was a complete mess. Watching that game last night, it was like a battle between a team that's a complete mess and the Memphis Grizzlies. I mean, I play the highlights, but there aren't any. Memphis, who is second to last in the West, looked like they were battling for a playoff spot. They looked like they had activated. And the Lakers looked like they were the ones playing out the string. You know, like, one, two, three, Cancun. Memphis has got nothing to play for. And they were the ones battling and scrapping. The Lakers have everything to play for. And they look like they were making tea times. Just kind of messing around. And while I'm not yet prepared to change the rules of the world and say that there is such a thing as a must-win NBA game in February, I'm going to say that the Lakers are testing that. Really, really testing that. No, check that. They broke that. Because that was a must-win game. It's a must-win game in the sense that the Lakers have to win those types of games. No matter when you play them. Everybody does. You have to beat up on bad teams and hold your own against good ones, regardless of who you are and regardless of where you are in the season. Like Memphis, that's a bad team right now. Playing the Grizzlies is supposed to be a free spin right now. And even worse than losing to Memphis was the fact that it's not a one-off, it's a trend. That was in the middle part of a three-game stretch that goes New Orleans, Memphis, New Orleans. The ultimate get-right games. Three wins that you can take immediately. Except one problem. The Lakers are 0-2 in those games. They've gotten those get-right games all wrong. After beating Houston, coming out of the break, those three games were supposed to be a great way to get a four-game winning streak and then get some momentum. Then you've got a tough one against Milwaukee. Then you have another win against Phoenix and then a huge game against the Clippers, who are ahead of you in the West. Instead... L.A. loses again, and now they're behind the T-Wolves in the West. And that's after Minnesota was hit by the Ja Rule curse. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's do this, Alvin. Let's do my laugh and his laugh, and you tell me if you can tell the difference, if you're listening, all right? If you're watching on CBS Sports Network, you can't play. If you're listening... On your car, radio, or at home, or on your computer, or on your phone, or however you consume this incredible media. Let's do two laughs, and you tell me which is which. (laughs) I'll do it one more time. You try and guess. It's tough, right? I think I finally found an impression I can do. I think I finally found what I can do. Do you even know? Do you even know which was which? I bet not. And we'll play that game a little later on. I bet you don't get it right. Yeah, and back to the Lakers. I understand 
they're only two games back of San Antonio in the loss column and that they could still do some damage down the stretch. But it's getting pretty late pretty early. And don't get me wrong. As long as you've got LeBron, you've got a chance. I've seen LeBron drag worse teams into the postseason and then deep into the postseason. But everything about this Laker team right now is all wrong. From the way they play on the floor to the way they talk off the floor, it's all jacked up. They play and they feel like a team that's got no chemistry, no vision, and no plans of making the postseason. They feel like a team that's another loss to New Orleans away from breaking out the huddle with Cabo on three. One, two, three, Cabo. One, two, three, Cancun. (laughs) Which one was that? Hey, look, I get it's only February. I get that it's still February. And no, I'm not here to throw dirt on them. But then again, I don't have to. They're doing it themselves. Lose to New Orleans and Memphis, and you've jumped into the hole, and you started dropping dirt by the shovel full on yourself. And Laker fans, don't tell me you can't see that. Don't tell me that you haven't started reconciling yourself to the possibility that you're going to miss the postseason. Don't tell me that you haven't started thinking about the draft lottery. Don't tell me you have not shifted from your Anthony Davis in purple and gold photoshops to Zion in purple and gold. Because I know you have. And even worse, it looks like the current Lakers have too. Meantime, this whole notion of are they distracted? Are the players distracted? The fact that LeBron may have tried to trade every one of them. Are they distracted? Man, don't bring that around LeBron. He doesn't want to hear that. At this point, if you are still allowing distractions to affect your the way you play, then this is, this is the wrong franchise to be a part of. And you should just come and be like, listen, I don't know. I can't do this. Like, seriously, you're distracted by playoff pushes. And, and, uh, all the stuff that's been talked about this year, that, uh, you know, just, just come and do your job. We do our job at a higher level. And, you know, that's not, that's not, that's not a distraction. That's like, that's what you want. Hey, listen, I don't think that he and Anthony Davis and Anthony Davis's personal reps handled that well at all, at all. But he's right. LeBron's right about that. If his teammates are that butthurt by all the speculation at the deadline and they can't pull out of that and they can't turn that around and they can't get right and that's, quote, affecting chemistry, then they're mentally weak. He's right. They can't let that affect them. It's business. It's the trade deadline. There's going to be one every single year. It might be the first time, but it's not going to be the last time that they're mentioned, whether they're Lakers or on some other team. He's right about that. If you can't get beyond that and get back to work in games you have to have, that is weak. And that's not the right place for you. In fact, that's not the right job for you. We are joined by Jake Lehman. Jake, it's really good to have you on. How are you? 
Good, Jim. How's it going? Good. Good, Jake. Listen, I don't know if you know this or not, but your name has come up multiple times in interviews over the past few months with this program. Terry Stotts, Mark Turgeon, so on. So I'm happy to have you on. You're having a really big stretch lately. The team is winning. Tomorrow night you're in Boston, which is not far from your old stomping grounds. So what I'm getting yep. at, Jake, is how is it being Jake Lehman right about now? How's your life? Um, it's been great. Um, you know, the the team's on a, a great stretch right now of, of, of winning games. Um, I'm, I'm feeling like I'm in a great rhythm um, offensively and defensively. Um, we just added some, some new pieces um, to our second unit um, to, to bring some more firepower and uh, Ennis Tanner and Rodney Hood. So things, things are going great. Things are going great. So now as a team, you've won four straight overall. Three of those wins have come on the road after the All-Star break. You've got four more yep. games away from home. That's the longest road trip or one of the longest road trips in team history. How are you approaching this particular trip? Yeah, I mean, we knew it was going to be a tough one um, coming up after All-Star break, especially a uh, seven-game road trip, I think 15 days. Um, it, we, we knew it wasn't going to be easy. Um, so, I mean, I, I think we are very happy with the way it started out. Three three great wins um, uh, on the road. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it's been a great start. Jake Lehman, my guest. You know, Jake, if you go back to the offseason, you went to play in the Summer League, and the thing is, for guys in your position, playing in the Summer League for a third straight year pretty much goes one of two ways, right? I mean, it can all click, and you can use it and get better, or it might go in a yep. really bad direction. So what was your mindset in Summer League? Uh, my, my mindset was to go out there and just be ultra aggressive, um, you know, show everybody what, what I had been working on in, in that offseason leading up to summer league. Um, you know, I knew we had a great team um, going into it, too. Um, you know, we we had a great, great stretch of games and ended up winning the ad championship. It was a lot of fun out there. I mean, Jake, you're, you're pretty calm. I mean, you're focused and you're intense, but you're pretty calm. It seems to me the question, because there was a question about whether or not the team would pick up your contract, that would seem to be like a really stressful thing. How were you able to stay as focused as you were during that time? Yeah, I mean, it, it was very stressful. Um, I would say the most stressful part of my career so far, just, just not, not knowing um, what was going to happen with, with the Blazers. Um, but they, they, they ended up picking it up um, before Summer League. Um, so it, it made Summer League pretty pretty stress-free for me just just to go out there and, and, and just, just, just play my hardest and, and, and show everybody what, what I've been working on. Yeah, so how good does it feel right now to put in all that time, put in all that hard work, have it pay off for you and the team? What's that feel like? Oh, it feels amazing. Um, just, just just how much I've learned in, in my first two years from, from my vets. Um, it's, it's really all coming together now um, on, on the court, and I'm, I'm just having a lot of fun. You know, when the coaches and the scouts and the vets that you mentioned talk about your game, one thing that keeps coming up is the off-the-ball movement and the fact that you can kill opponents with cuts. It almost seems like a lost art. So why is that something that you've always worked on and been able to perfect? Yeah, I mean, I think especially with, with our team, um, you know, when I'm out there with uh, with Dame and CJ and uh, and, and Yusuf Nurkic, um, you know, I mean, there, there's so much attention on those guys that I'm, I'm, I'm always looking for, for ways to – to get back cuts and, and set, set back screens on, on their man, knowing two guys are, are, are going to go to them and, and get me open. So just, just stuff like that. You know, I'd argue that looking at your career and everywhere you've been, you just keep getting better and better, and eventually you become a force. Did you always know that that would happen in the NBA if you just got the opportunity? Um, I mean, I wouldn't say I necessarily knew it was going to happen. Um, but, you know, I think oh, over the past two years, the – the work I put in, um, you know, what the team has seen in practice, how 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 I've done in practice, you know, I, I definitely knew it was possible, um, you know. And this year, I'm finally finally getting that opportunity, um, and I'm I'm getting the opportunity to 
to show what I've been working on. Um, and it, it's kind of all, all coming full circle now. We're talking Jake Lehman. So three years in, you've grown as a player. For example, like what are some things that maybe you know about life in the NBA right now that you didn't necessarily know when you first arrived? Um, I mean, when I first arrived, I mean, obviously the uh, travel schedule is, is just ruthless. Um, you know, how, how much flights you're on, um, stuff like that. How, how much time you spend away from your family, um, especially. Um, so just kind of get, getting used to that. And I think over the, my first two years, I definitely learned a lot from my vets on just how to, how to approach the game the right way and just be a professional every day, no matter what's going on, um, if you're playing or not playing. I mean, Jake, it's such a great, great basketball town. I mean, I love the fans in Portland, and I love the love that they have for the team there. It's really unique. Oh, yeah. What's it like as, as a city to live and work in if you're a professional basketball player? Uh, it's amazing. Um, just like you said, I, I mean, I, I personally think it's the best fan base in the NBA. Um, I think it's a little un, un, unknown, unlike the uh, bigger fan bases. Um, but, I mean, we're, we're sold out every game. The, the, the fans bring the energy no matter what's going on in the game. Um, it's, just, it's just it's a special place to play, and I think it's a special time to be playing here right now. Trailblazer Jake Lehman joins us. Now, your parents were both college athletes. Your mom played basketball at UMaine. Your father played yep. baseball there as well. So what was life like for you growing up as the son of a couple of college athletes and having four brothers around, too? Um, it, it, was, it was constant sports. Um, I mean, we, we, we all grew up playing uh, soccer, basketball, um, and baseball. So I, I, it, was, it was definitely a, a lot of those. Um, you know, obviously dad wanted me to play baseball, uh, the whole time, but mom, mom won that battle, um, in, in the end. So that's where it is. <laughs> hey Jake, Jake, where do you come out on this? I mean, we talk about this a lot as parents. I've got a couple of kids and this issue of whether to sp- like focus and specialize in that one sport or play multiple sports. Where do you come out on that? Um, I think playing multiple sports is the way to go. Um, just the uh, different atmospheres, di- different team structures with, with all the uh, different sports. Um, you know, my my dad was my head coach for baseball. My mom was not for basketball. So it was, it was nice to kind of have that balance as well. Um, so I'm, I'm definitely a, a, a big fan of playing multiple sports. Good to hear it. Listen, when you got started, what was your game like? For instance, when you were starting out at King Philip High School in Massachusetts, there's this story that you've been working on your vert and you really want to throw one down in a game. So you're doing box jumps, you're developing that leg strength, and then you finally get an yep. opportunity to dunk in a game for the first time. How did that go? Um, it was great. It was, it was my freshman year of high school. Um, I, I got a steal, a little breakaway dunk, um, and I, I just went for it. Um, it, was, it was my first in-game, in-game dunk. Something that that you never forget. Um, yeah, it was, it was it was awesome. Did you throw that thing down with authority? Uh, no, it was a fingertip dunk. <laughs> <laughs> Not a great dunk at all. <laughs> all right then. So finally, you were part of the U18 USA basketball team that won gold with Julius Randle, Marcus Smart, Sam Decker, and more. What was that experience yep. like to be a key part of a team that was so talented and to be a part of that at such a young age? Oh, it was very special. Um, we, we were in, in Brazil, um, so, so much talent on that team. Head coach was uh, Bill, Billy Donovan, too. Um, so it was just, just a special group of guys, um, and that's something that I, obviously I will never forget, um, playing, playing USA basketball. What was Billy Donovan like to play for? He was great. Um, you know, I, he, he was coaching Florida at that time, um, so he was definitely used to dealing with uh, younger guys that definitely knew how to handle all of us. Um, it, was, it was a great experience playing, playing uh, under him at such a young age, even before I, I got to Maryland. We are joined right now by Rob Mendez. Rob, I want to say it's absolutely awesome to meet you and to talk to you, Rob. Great to have you on the show. How are you? 
I'm doing well, Jim. I really appreciate this time. Um, I've been watching you since, I think I want to say, Fox Sports Net back in the 2000s. And uh, thank you. I appreciate it. Hey, Rob, I really appreciate that. I mean this sincerely. I'm really eager to talk to you and to meet you. There's so much I want to talk to you about, but why don't we get right to it? You were born with Tetra Amelia syndrome, which means you were born without arms or legs. And your father, though, when you were growing up, said that he didn't like the word special. He said you were different, but that you were not special. What was your father's message to you growing up, and what did it mean to you? Uh, you know what? That was a good question. I want to say that it really meant that he just wanted me to be a part of the life and adapt to the lady. So, um, yeah, I, you know what, I think that he just really wanted me to be included in everything. I mean, you know, think of myself as being special, but at the same time, always wanting to be right there with my friends, right there with society, right there where I should be. And, um, yeah, I mean, I just didn't like it myself either. You know, growing up, hearing the word special, I would look at other kids and, and uh, we don't see them being not special. So I think just as a society, I wanted to always, you know, include myself as not equal. I mean, not better, not worse. I guess you can say equal. Rob Mendez joining us. So Rob, as part of that early on, your sister Jackie put yeah. a PlayStation controller under your chin and you right. started playing Madden what was the experience like, and how quickly were you hooked on football? And I don't mean the video game, but I mean the sport. Well, the first game actually was Super Madden. <laughs> right. Yeah, so it wasn't Madden. Um, I started getting into Madden around 2000, 2001, and um, I just took a liking to the sport because it was one play at a time, and it was really simple for me to really use my brain, my mind, and... Uh, figure out what the next play is going to be. I've always liked to use my mind to be able to beat the opponent. And just like in chess, I'm always trying to think of your next your next move. And as a coordinator, I you know, really thought of that. I put myself in either chess uh, or, or even in life. You know, the next decision is always going to be effective for your next decision after that. So, once you know, one play will be the next setup or the setup for the next play. So... And we continue our conversation right now. Rob, I appreciate you kind of playing through that, and I appreciate your patience. Let me ask you, Rob, you have told your players a story from when you were nine years old. Your father had placed you at the bottom of the stairs in your home, and he told you to climb. What do you remember about that time? And when you share that with your team, what do you want the team to take away from that? Yeah, that, that moment right there, just uh, my dad challenged me to, to really figure out on my own. Um, I remember he put me on the bottom of the step, and uh, I actually, it was from me originally wanting to try to get up the stairs myself, and I was doubting myself, and I wish I could get up there myself, it was like a, the first four steps, you know, you get to the first platform, then you get to the next staircase, and after that, my goal was just to get over the first four steps and figure it out from there, so he goes, all right, then try it, um, and uh kept on pushing me to try it, and I was like, yeah, what if I fall, what if I fall, you know, man. I think uh, the fall will be worth the effort of uh, the accomplishment, or, you know, just, just the effort to try to do it. It'll be worth it. So he kind of guided me through it on brainstorming on how to figure out how to get over the first step. So he 
told me, hey, try to latch your chin onto the next step. So I did. And the hardest part was pulling my whole body onto the next step. And uh, I think right then and there, it, it kind of was related to life. On anything, you know, worth achieving is going to be difficult. And, and right then and there, you know, that first step in itself was difficult, more so than the next three, because I think just figuring it out um, was the hardest part. Because the second step was a little bit easier than the first. The third step was a little bit easier than the second. And so on and so forth. So it was really related to my life on that staircase right there. On you know, As long as you take the initiative to figure out that first step and don't skip steps through the process, um, you know, getting to the top of the... You know, getting to the top is going to be worth it because of, uh, you know, the adversity you go through and, and things like that. I, I love the challenge. And, you know, not to... Not to, take, not to quote uh, Tom Brady word for word, but I remember his uh, interview this year. He was at Disney World, and uh, I think he was asked somewhat like, uh, you know what drives you? And he says, doubt. You know, it's you know it's easy when you have you know you know supporters, and I guess doubt doubt was really that drove him. And you know he was what 576, or I, I forgot what number he was in the draft. And I just admire Tom Brady's adversity throughout all that, and look where he's at now. One of the is, in my opinion, the best football player ever. That's hard to say as a Niner fan. <laughs> hey, look where you are right now, Rob. Rob Mendez, my guest. That's an amazing story. Rob, one of your mottos is, who says I can't? Who says I can't? Where did that first come from, and what does that mean to you? It's funny. If I was, to be honest with you, uh, it comes from an eighth-grade dance. You know, my friends always challenge me, and, and the first time I ever really said it was when they asked me, Go dance with that girl. You can't do that. And I said, "Oh yeah, who says I can't?" So Great. <laughs> I went to go, uh, you know, take Great. the initiative and, and just you know, do, do a couple spins on my wheelchair. And she ended up being my girlfriend for the next three years. And uh, from there, you know, I just realized, you know, being doubted was my drive. And I stuck with that. Who says I can't was a drive or was a mantra for me to really just stay hungry. And staying hungry, I think, is is a good, uh, you know, it's good for everyone to, to have. We're talking to Rob Mendez. Rob, I'm curious. Growing up, you were a skier, you were a swimmer, you were a goalie in hockey. In other words, you did pretty much everything. It would have been natural to feel sad for yourself or get mad or even ask, why me? Did you ever have moments like that? Uh, you know, I'd be lying if I were to say no. Um, you know, there's I think the, the one thing that I really wish I could do was just really try to include myself on a team as, you know, aspect when my friends were playing basketball. Being a rep was, you know, it was it was fun. It was, you know, I was a part of the game, but I always wanted to compete. You know, I was a competitor. I think us coaches can all relate to that. We are competitors. And, and for me not to be able to compete in some area, you know, like in parks or wherever me and my friends were at, it was difficult for me to watch it. And especially when my friends would go up against amongst other friends. And, you know, that drove me to really, come on, Alex, or go on, Abbott. You know, two of my closest friends, I was always their biggest fan and trying to help them out as much as I can. And I think that's how I became a coach. Was always, I was always encouraging, you know, others. Rob Mendez, my guest. So when you were in high school, you were invited to become the football team manager as a freshman. So all of a sudden you're included and you take advantage of the opportunity and you're working and you're working. And then over time you worked your way up until you were coaching the quarterbacks. What was that experience like? 
I just, I kind of naturally fell into that spot. My uh, my coach, Coach Berliani, who's now the head coach at Christopher High, he was the offensive coordinator as well as the quarterback's coach. And I don't know what it was, but I think I saw the leadership in the quarterback role. And I took a liking to what the quarterback was responsible for. So I just was drawn into Coach Perleone's play calling style as well as his offense. Um, and when it was individual time, I would follow him and I would be right there, you know, by his side. And I kind of just studied it, you know, every single day on what he was saying. And, and then I collaborated into my own way on how, you know, the footsteps, for example, if I wanted the quarterback's foot to have their first drop back, which is right behind them, where's your six o'clock? It's right behind you, correct? And then the next step is going to be a crossover step. And then the next step is going to be another plant step. So I was able to really figure out how to use a clock, um, you know, 12, 3, 6, 9, whatever it is, on how, how I wanted the kids be where they where I needed it to be placed. So um, just over time, I, I just learning to that. So Rob, listen, you've got a passion for the game. You know the game. You're in this yeah. thing, man. You're working it. You're working it. You spend more than a decade as an assistant, and then at a certain point, you feel like, I'm ready. I'm ready to be a head coach, but nobody was giving you that opportunity. You weren't getting that shot, and then you met with Mike Cable, the varsity coach at Prospect. What was that meeting like? That meeting, uh, when I first met him, it was we clicked, we, we gelled, we, uh, we laughed, we talked. Um, it was just really a special bond. And there you go, using the word special. <laughs> um, it was a really unique bond, I, I should say. And, and I really just took a liking to Mr. Cable or Coach Cable. Um, I took a liking to Mike. You know what? I really just like him as a person, as a friend. And, and that's what really got me on board with the program was just how well we clicked and how nice of a person he was. You know, there's a lot of coaches in this industry that really, I don't know what they do it for, but some coaches I want to say do it for the show. Some coaches do it for the right thing. And it's truly, I believe, that Coach Cable um, is, has, you know, the perfect philosophy, which is putting the kids first and whatever their best interest is is always going to be for them. So I took a liking to Coach Cable's philosophy and, and – you know, I remember a couple of years ago uh, when I was JV offensive coordinator at Sparato, um, you know, we were doing real well. The varsity team wasn't doing real well. And uh, one of the coaches from the varsity level was, you know, we had a meeting because we were, I don't know, I guess you could say we were being standoffish with each other. And, uh, you know, he, he basically said, you know, he didn't want me to, or he didn't want, he wasn't talking to me directly, but it was, it was uh, stuff that I felt it. And, he said, you know, coaches walk around with their, you know, their, their webos hanging. And, uh, you, know, I, you know, he looked at me when I said that. You know, there's no reason to do that. And I kind of was trying to figure out what he was trying to say. And he said, you know what, JV coaches are always going to be just JV coaches. And that just right there lit a fire under my butt. And mm-hmm. that right there was the drive for me to prove to him that he is getting upset and trying to put me back in his lane because of the fact my connection with the kids were so strong and he was losing the connection with the kids instead of requesting, instead of seeking help, which would have been, in my opinion, the, the better way to go about it. Um, you know, he looked at me as a threat, and and uh, the following year I was let go from Sprata. And you know, I was really upset about that. 
Rob Mendes joining us. That connection you have with the players, I mean, it's so apparent. It really is so apparent. So you connect with Mike Cable. He offers you the job. And this is something, Rob, that you've been working so hard for, a head coaching job, something you had wanted for a long time, worked so hard for, you finally get the opportunity. What was it like when you met with your team and your players for the first time as their head coach? What do you remember about that meeting? Uh, I was nervous myself. Um, it, was, it wasn't on the field. It was actually in a classroom. And, and I just, I was, I don't know why I was nervous because I've never really been nervous. I, I think it was just because of the fact that I was the head coach and it had nothing to do with me being in a wheelchair. Um, you know, I've always been the assistant coach where players feel like I'm approachable um, and they'll, you know, talk bad about the head coach and I wouldn't, let them talk bad about the head coach. Because in my opinion, that's just you know not right to let the kids you know talk bad. And you know, I would just communicate with the kids and tell them, you know, communicate with the head coach. So I didn't want to be that head coach to to make the kids feel like I was not approachable. I wanted to make sure that they had the feeling that they can approach me, whether if it was football related in the classroom or or family, whatever it was. I wanted to make sure that they knew that I was there for them, and not just as a football coach. And so, um, you know, as an assistant, I learned, you know, over years, you know, the head coach needs to be approachable. And that's what I wanted to convey to the kids that first meeting. Rob Mendez joining me for a few more moments. So you've obviously got this connection. You love the kids. You make it really clear to them that you love them. In fact, you keep telling your team you love them. Why is that so important for you and for them to know that you love them? Because that's where it starts. If you don't love yourself in life in general, whatever you're doing, if, you don't, if you're not really, you know, it's okay to have bad days. It's okay, you know, to to go weep in your room once in a while. But I, I just want to make sure people know that, you know, their self-worth is something that is overlooked a lot of the times. And when I tell the kids that I love you, it's a main, meaning more like you love yourself and I love you for that. And, and it starts for me with God and Jesus Christ, you know, that love comes from them and the strength comes from them. So God loves them too. So I just want them to make sure that that's the foundation of, of anything that they want to accomplish. It starts with loving themselves and, and coaching them. Rob, you went to the championship game last year and you lost a really tough game. Now, whenever I have a coach on who lost a tough game, I generally ask them, how much are you bothered by that? Have you put it in the past? Or as a competitor, are you still bothered by that? How are you approaching that game as you look back now? You know, I was better. Uh, like, I would say a couple weeks after that, when I couldn't let it go. Right now, I have a different approach to it. You know, I don't like to lose. I hate to lose. So the part I'm holding on to is I don't want to lose um, again. So I mean, yeah, there's there's a strong chance I will. You know, I, I have that in the back of my mind. But you know what? The next time this coming year, I mean, that's my main goal is to not only go 10-0, but to definitely accomplish that championship uh, for the JV uh, team this year at Prospect and. I think I just don't want to lose ever again is what it was. I remember that moment. Rob, the thing is, I mean, you're a coach. You're a coach, and you're always thinking about the next thing. How do we get a little bit better today? How do I put these guys in a position where they can get a little bit better? But you're so much more than that. I mean, you're such an amazing source of inspiration to so many people. If somebody listening right now wants more information on you or wants to support the Who Says I Can't campaign, how would they go about doing that? I appreciate that, Jim. Um, they can reach out to me on Twitter or as well as just go on GoFundMe and uh, in the search engines type in who says I can't 
It should be able to pop up. And uh, basically what I would like to do is raise funds, and um, I'm looking to trademark who says I can uh, with my own logo and slogan, as well as um, I would like to hold, you know, assemblies at different schools, um, presentations at churches, uh, wherever the event is, wherever the event is at. And uh, I would like to always, you know, hang on to who says I can't because it was pretty fun. Um, I did it, you know, at... Um, I'm trying to think up with the Sharks because I'm a season ticket holder, and I think, you know, I have an idea where maybe I can get on the mic and, and promote, you know, some kind of self, um, self-value self within the message. And and at the end, it's really fun for the audience to yell back, nobody. So, you know, I'm hoping to get on the Sharks saying, who says I can't? Nobody. But anyways, yeah, it's on GoFundMe and uh, GoFundMe.com. And you can reach out to me either Twitter, Instagram. My Instagram is at Coach Rob Mendez as well as uh, Twitter is at Coach Rob Mendez. Uh, my Gmail is Coach Rob Mendez at gmail.com. So it's pretty simple. I kept it consistent with just Coach Rob Mendez. If you Google that, I'm sure you'll be able to find the social media on how we can connect. My man, Coach Rob Mendez, clones do that. Make that happen. Reach out to the coach. He's making right. it very easy for you. He is the head football coach of the JV team at Prospect High School in Saratoga here in California. Led that team to an 8-2 and record last season, a spot in the JV League championship game. He was born with no arms and no legs. Rob, cannot tell you how much I appreciate you. Can't tell you how much I respect and admire you. That was an awesome conversation. I'm so glad we came together, Rob. Thanks, Jim, and I do have shirts coming out within the next couple weeks. I would love to send you and and the team one, you, Adam, and maybe Erica one, and I would love to send you guys for the appreciation just because this time was awesome, Jim. I really appreciate it. Let's go to L.A. Matt in L.A. Matt, what's up with you? Hey, Jim, Rome from Catalina to Coney Island. You're welcome. And let me really reemphasize that, pimp. You're welcome. While your boy Matt Nelly can't seem to get within 25 feet of the smack off 25 without breaking and entering or taking one of Alvy's 28 children hostage, I've been jumping branches on the CBS Sports Net tree, my man, with old Tombstone Teeth himself. To try and make smack off 25 better, I came in earlier and told old DA that the clones were clamoring. They want to officially invite D.A. and his Huntington Beach-like waves and waves of gum. I mean, D.A. has more gums in his mouth than Hubba Bubba Big League Chew and the Double Mint Twins combined. But I'm straying, as usual, Jimmos. So, uh, long story short, I personally invited D.A. to the smack off, and he says he's just awaiting your call. So, uh, you're welcome. War Belly Clarkson having sea lion tusks and belly skin for optimum krill and plank- plankton intake. War Ira Craig's cardboard condo being waterfront property on the L.A. River. But unwar, awkward, Canadian kumquat tandem calls. Outro. The B.I.C. Brad in Corona. The champ doesn't wait. He goes right to the front of the line. Brad, what's up? Jimbo, how are you, man? Good, good. Brad, how are you? I'm great. I'm great. Great show today. I tuned in halfway through your interview with uh, Coach Krzyzewski earlier where he was talking about not eating the cheese. What an incredible amount of willpower that must take, Jim. But, uh, hey, quick question on the podcast. What was Kevin Frazier's take on how the lady Robert Kraft was paying to punch his clown down at the Rubber Dicky Day Spa was named Wang? Ah! No. You don't like that call. I don't like that call. 
Not a very good call. Did I say the best there ever was? Did I say the champ? Did I say the man to beat? Did I say, who are you taking, the guy or the field? Bro, you know I'm not Grant Napier, right? Good night now! How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola energy. Energy you want, taste you love.